Hello. Welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mboko. Just to remind you, a new episode comes to you every Tuesday. And this podcast is accessible from every channel you access your podcast from. From Google, Apple, CastBox, name them. So, last week, we started the discussion on the research and development issues in Africa why research is important, and how different countries are investing in research. If you had not had a chance to listen, I would encourage you to take some time and listen because today's topic is a continuation of that particular episode. I'm so honored to welcome back Dr. Judy Omumbo. Dr. Omumbo is a Senior Programs Manager at the African Academy of Sciences, managing the postdoctoral program, a fellowship program of postdoctoral researchers across Africa. Welcome back, Dr. Mumbo. Thank you for your invitation. All right. You work with an institution whose vision is to see transformed lives on the African continent through science. Um, and we talked about how critical investment in research for the continent's development is. What is being done to improve investment in research? Yes, so I think we were using the current pandemic of COVID-19 yeah as an example of, of when push comes to shove, it really sets people on a path towards thinking for solutions for themselves. Absolutely. And this has really, uh, this has really been true in, uh, in, in, in the context of the current pan- pandemic. What is Africa doing? I mean, the continent is very wide and yes. each region responds in a different way. And uh, there's lots of political issues around, you know, governments deciding uh, should we increase hospital spaces? Should we let people self-distance? You know, all of those questions are arising across the continent. But the, you know, the the initial response was really amazing. You saw um, many African countries thinking, actually, we can make our own nets, we can make our own PET equipment, we can make our you know supply our gloves ourselves, uh, we can improve these supply systems. These are all uh, decisions that were made by by you know, an African at the level of, at national level. And I think it's, it's important to recognize that yeah. the, the starting of this, but that is at, at, at one lower level. We've also looked at African, African countries uh, initiating R&D, you know, supporting, supporting scientists, not even necessary scientists, even ordinary citizens, looking at alternative ways to, to provide ventilators, um, working creatively with with uh, the business community like hotels that are in the vicinities of hospitals to open additional bed space for patients to come in and stay now yeah. that the hotel industry is not running you know i think all these are very important initiatives and responses that africa is doing uh, on the level of the african academy of sciences where i work within a week of the first case being reported mm-hmm. you know, in Africa, and you know, we're thinking, okay, we're it's here now. Uh, the the African Academy of Sciences was able to assemble scientists across the continent mm-hmm. who who work in that space, infectious diseases, uh, you know, questions around social sciences, uh, questions of, of social distancing, and so on, to put together a list 
of what they see as priorities for Africa now. So, I mean, this is something that we don't need to talk about in this meeting because it's well covered if you go to, to the African Academy of Sciences websites, mm -hmm. Africa's COVID response. And this is something that is ongoing. Yeah. But the amazing thing is, is, is the spirit of, of uh, you know, people wanting to get together and address an issue that is really close to the heart of every single citizen of this, this continent and of the globe. Uh, a lot of very important research is, is coming out of there. There's been a, a call launched for, for research to address these priorities. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been African scientists who have responded to, uh, responded to that. So it gives, I mean, it also refers to what we discussed at the, at the last podcast that we had uh, last week, uh, Sophie, yeah. concerning how many scientists are enough, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's more how many scientists are doing impactful work and how good is that environment in terms of funding and support um, for African scientists to, 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 to do this? So, of course, there's a, there's a critical mass of scientists that's required. Mm -hmm. But I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think you can say that, okay, you need to have a certain exact, uh, exact number, exact proportion. And so that, that goes into the question of um, still back to the statistics that shows that um, for example, we still take the case in Nigeria, and um, it shows that out of one million inhabitants in Nigeria, um, about 38 of them are researchers. So I was wondering in terms of the manpower that we have, as much as we have so many other like youths currently engaged in, in technology, do countries need to improve in having more researchers on board? I think for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pool that has to be replenished. And the population is growing, so that pool has to get bigger. I think it's good for a country to have many researchers, many people who think who think it's researchers. So I mean, it was certainly we need to we need to do that. You know, all of this all of this stuff around improving access to science in early years, um, encouraging people to move on, uh, looking at career pro progressions. Um, understanding how they can be remunerated later on in life, finding positions for them, even in government. You know, I think Africa is in a position by now that every government should have uh, a chief scientist. Um, as you know, many countries don't. So how does the government, uh, how does a government get advised on things, science, uh, for example? So all of this, we are still very, very far behind in Africa in, in, term of, in terms of that proportion. And why is that? Because when you look, when you compare a country like Singapore, out of the same one million inhabitants, you find out of that in one million inhabitants, you have, you have over 6,600 um, researchers. Why is it that the gap so wide in terms of African countries? I think a lot has to, go, has to do with the funding that goes into, into R&D. You know, I think in Africa, very traditionally, we are always, as you go to school, you're training to be something. Immediately you finish high school, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're this, you know. So something as broad as, oh, I'll grow up and be a researcher is perhaps not in the psyche of a child growing up on this continent. Simply because, you know, your family and those who mentor you do not mentor you to think in that direction. So things like IT are really growing in Africa because people see, yes, this is what has developed. This is what has developed M-Pesa. This is what has developed uh, all the social media things, you know? Mm -hmm. So those ones will grow very easily. So I think 
the uh, you know the, the the other side is that environment that allows people to see that this is actually a very important even the government has put this much money into it this is a very important career to go into and so by the time you're choosing your careers you know i think around the age of uh, high school from the time you're 13 you're already thinking about what you want to come and do and mm -hmm. i find very often you know people creative people sometimes don't find uh, a really good niche whether you're creative in science or whether you're creative in the art in the arts simply because they see at the other end there's no there's no money that's being put into that field mm -hmm. yes i mean we have great we have great artists very good artists in in, in africa either music or, or fine art and so on and so forth but how many careers in high school talk about becoming uh, a fine artist. How many careers in, in, in schools, you know, talk about, you know, let's go into research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So research is something that you fall upon. You've, you've done your PhD, you've got the recognition, and then you're interested to go on. And then normally you get funding that comes from, from out of the continent mm -hmm. to fund your research. And I think this is a, this is a serious problem. And is there anything being done to improve, uh, to address the issues of finance, improving finance? Good. It's very difficult to get funding for your research. Mm -hmm. So you will find uh, somebody who has taken this path always feels like they're lagging behind with their peers. Mm -hmm. You know, your peers uh, have gone on and they're now running businesses, they're CEOs, and you are still in a lab. Mm -hmm. Writing for that, another proposal this year, not sure in the next six months where your, your funding for the people who you're supporting in research comes from. So it's a, it's a very difficult career. And, and, and you know, many people don't, don't want to pursue that. I mean, as an academy, we're doing our, our small bit of that, you know, addressing, addressing um, at the postdoctoral level. Mm -hmm. You know, the postdoctoral level is, is, an, is a, a level of scientific growth that is not well-funded in this continent at all. I mean, you find that most people who want to do a postdoc from Africa will go to another continent to do that yeah. because there is, you know, there's a lack of positions, there's a lack of career progression. Uh, you want to be at this stage and still doing research when there's a high burden of teaching at the university. In general, the only place you can work at is in a university. You know, mm -hmm. there aren't positions in industry where you can be doing research with innovation. So that is somewhere where we try to look at. You know, we have, we have a, a, about over 250 postdoctoral fellowships that we have done in, in all areas of, of science for we, we have funded across the continent so this is about a three-year postdoctoral period where you are paid enough so that you can just do your research and we also look at uh, providing some support to the institution to allow you to be free to do this research while you grow a research program you grow a research team you know, these are the postdoctoral fellowships that we have. Uh, the affiliates program at the academy is similar in that way. It's a, it's a membership program where it's a very, very competitive um, application process where the, those who get in, we, we take about 40 affiliates each year for a five-year period. We give them career development support, allow them to network with people, with their peers in the same uh, space in their career. Um, and you know, even go for collaborative grants, uh, give them access to informal peer review, uh, support them 
in their applications to for other things as they grow their career because this is a very difficult time it's also the time you know when you you, you finish your first degree you've done a master's in africa we often do a master's before you do a phd yeah. you get your phd and then start working now uh, this is this is often where many people, the, the, you know, the, the PhD is the final goal, and then they stop. They go, in fact, go backwards in the biomedical sciences. They've got their PhD, then they go back to practicing as a doctor or as a, you know, some as a biomedical scientist somewhere. Simply because there's no space for them to grow after there. So this is where we sort of target. We target and we select very competitively by peer review the best researchers and the mm -hmm. best achievers at that level to, to allow them to make that transition. Yeah. This is also the place where many women get lost because it's a time in your life where perhaps you're thinking of, you're managing so many other things, yeah. a family, perhaps uh, added burden of care of elderly parents, you know, and so forth. So people just don't have time to focus on something as, as, as difficult to maintain as, as research. There's never a salary that just comes in. You know, if you don't write that grant proposal, the salary is not guaranteed for more than three years or so, if you're lucky. Mm. So I think that's one way that uh, we are trying to support. But this is really the tip of the iceberg. I mean, judging from, from uh, when we, we send out a call for some of the up to but you know one we once go more than a thousand applications and we mm -hmm. were only choosing 30. Mm -hmm. the demand is so so high that we turn away so many applications that are, are excellent they're excellent mm -hmm. and and you know, the the reviewers the reviewers are international standard uh, reviewers mm -hmm. so there's there still is a massive massive gap what would be your advice in terms of a young person probably at the university listening to us and wondering, um, this career, should I you know, choose to be a career a research scientist? And what's your advice? Well, as a career scientist myself, I'd advise them to go for it. I mean, I think anything that you really believe in, you can, you can achieve in the end. But I think, you know, just do, one has to be realistic to somebody who you're, you're advising. Um, I think one thing that we uh, often overlook in, uh, in, in the growth of anyone in their career is, is the role of mentorship. We believe very strongly in mentorship. You know, one has to see what can be done. In order to become that long distance runner, you need to run with the runners and you need to see them and uh, what they do and how they train to get there. Uh, so I think, you know, really bringing science to the forefront of the discussion, making clear that it's not, it's not just for certain people. You know, we started off last week talking about, oh, it's a hard thing. Is this mm -hmm. research is a hard thing? But, you know, demystifying those things. Yeah. people say, this is about, this is a space for you to be creative. Because everybody, even, even ancient man with no, with, with no training at all in school, learn to build tools to facilitate their life. And, and, and this is really what uh, discovery and science is, is all about. Perfect. And what's your opinion in terms of how best can African countries improve funding and also improving the number of researchers in the continent? Mm. 
I'd say, Sophie, I mean, there's a big disconnect with, with what's happening in research and really what's happening in the realm of, you know, policy. That research policy interface mm-hmm. is still not connected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that is a, it places a real burden on, 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 on government's ability to, to even fund, you know. It's like, so how much do you need to do this thing? So there's a need for scientists to articulate this clearly, you know, what is the importance of this R&D? Uh, environment that we keep talking about uh, and and somehow bridge that gap you know let's let's begin the conversation with policymakers to say look these are the these are the um, these are the issues these are the priorities that the, the, the nation has that the continent has you know and start from there mm-hmm. how do we assemble science to address these and therefore how much is that going to cost this is our budget and this is how much we can give so that science is is based upon 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 needs, mm. mm-hmm. rather than just let's, let's randomly do whatever you have, because then that's very hard to that's very hard to um, to to fund. And then you know somehow also when we're talking to policymakers to really onboard business. I mean, if you look at other other nations, the business community is very very interested in R and D, and they support because they're business business you know let's look at sustainable development uh, you know sustainable invention sustainable innovation i think uh, you know people are referring to as eco innovation you know when we're when we're thinking what does africa need you know does africa need more cars for example you know this should be really a scientific question to see what do we have can we look at at things like what is the impact on the environment therefore should we be making these cars? And then the policy can come in and say, we must limit the numbers of cars that are produced here or that travel to the business, uh, central business districts because there is a bigger picture. Again, those are, those are questions uh, around science. You know, for COVID, how many tests should we give and in which populations in order to get a sense of how much risk we have, you know? We're still sitting on the verge here wondering, is this the surge or is this still the, the lower tail? Or, you know, when is it going to happen? You know, it's often a very, it's just a mathematical question. You know, let's get, let's get some mathematicians on board. Let's get modelers on board. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a conversation around how science and policy are intric- intricately um, intertwined. And then an, an understanding globally as in you know in the whole community of scientists and policymakers and business of everybody's role and why 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 they they should see this as a need to fund that's very interesting that when you actually do research in terms of a policy becomes easy to implement with already you have already identified why do we need this what do we what gaps do we need uh what do we need to do what where do we need to actually go so by the time if we do research understanding where we need to go then even that research informs the kind of policy that we're actually making i kind of think so and then it becomes very easy to implement this uh, policies that we are actually drawing instead of just having a policy that is actually done for example look at um, e-waste and stuff we have a policy that it's actually somewhere on a government shelf um, gathering dust but if we know this is where we need to go so we'll actually look into how, to what extent how much uh, waste do we actually have and this is where we need to go so we actually doing we're drawing policies that 
helps us get to where it is that it goes to all these policies, it becomes very easy in terms of implementing. That's what I'm in my head and thinking. Exactly. Exactly. So if uh, the government has plans to, to roll out massive infrastructure, mm -hmm. let's engage the scientists at that plan, at the planning stage. And, and work together. I mean, there are all sorts of implications, you know. Does this mean, what does this mean for transport of food? What does it mean for people's housing, you know, access, uh, the increase in the amount of traffic? I mean, these are all things that can be modeled. And I think that, it, you know, we need to transition to, to, being, to being a continent that does that. Mm. Perfect, Judy. As usual, it's always a pleasure having a conversation about science and research with you. It's, it's, it's such always amazing time. Thank you so much for coming on board. I sincerely do appreciate you coming on board today. Well, I thank you too. It's nice to see you and hear from you. Do not forget to hit that subscribe button because you do not want to miss the next series. And trust me, it is special and I will tell you all about it next week on Tuesday. Until then, Kwaheri, please keep safe and have a productive week ahead.